First of all, um, you're a producer in the film industry up in the Northeast. Can you tell us, first of all, about the role of producer, just to make sure that everybody knows exactly what that job and that role entails? The producer of a film is essentially the one who's responsible for the film. And when I say that, I don't mean uh, in terms of responsible for what happens on screen. That's the job of the director to work with the crew and the actors and the script. But the producer is essentially uh, legally and financially responsible. The buck stops with the producer. So along with a writer and a director, the producer then will develop that film. And essentially, uh, it's kind of the analogy that I use is that I, tend, I parent films from their conception to their birth to their through their teenage years and then I let them out into the world and they will all uh, outlive me. Um, so in a way the job of the producer is to engage with the creative forces within the film and allow them the space and time they need within reason uh, to fulfill the ambition and vision that they have. Thank you very much. And going on from that, if any young people in the audience today are thinking about going into film production, can you tell us what kind of skills are really imperative to that particular role? Uh, I kind of realised over the years that a producer is uh, uh, a jack of all, a master of none, in a way. I've got to have an understanding of absolutely every moving part. And you'll have seen, like even small films or Hollywood blockbusters, when you actually watch the credits, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, right? Loads of different departments, loads of different jobs. And in a way, a producer has to have an understanding of what all those jobs are and what they entail, which is sort of crazy in a way. And you'll never be a master of any of those jobs, or sometimes people work through the ranks and then produce. Um, so maybe they have been an AD or maybe they've been a line producer or whatever. But um, actually the real job is dealing with those people and being able to keep the ship, the production, on a steady course right from the very time when it's just an idea in someone's head or uh, the taking of a previous text like a book or a play, and say, I'm going to make this into a film, or I've had an idea to make X, Y, or Z into a film. And then all those, sometimes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, even on these moderately budgeted movies, uh, I think the last, well, three of the films were a million pound budgets. Blood Cells was about 150 grand. So they're kind of lowish budgets compared with you know, Transformers or whatever. But still we have hundreds and hundreds of people working on those movies and actually the job of a producer is to ensure the ship stays on course to a greater or a lesser extent um, and to sort of extend the metaphor, doesn't crash into the rocks either creatively or financially. Um, and, and in a way it's intangible, that job. And... Let's sort of go back to the analogy of 
parenting in, in, in a way what job do, do parents do in a way it's intangible and it's different in every experience so it, it's sort of the same with a film I, one guy I, I work with occasionally uh, certainly when we were making the short films he said to me he's a French sales agent and he said to me the job of a producer is to start and suppress the right rumors to the right people at the right times, nothing more, nothing less. So in a way, you kind of see it's a political role in order to attach even £150,000, which to you and me is a lot of money, but in the film business is, isn't even a pinprick, to a project to then steer that project through script development, casting locations, etc into the shoot and sometimes a project will be eight years long and the actual shoot is the shortest part um so blood cells the film that's here we shot in 20 days and i guess joe and luke were working on the project they, they first mentioned it to me in 2009 then i kind of boarded the project as the producer in about 2012 and I think they shot at around Easter in 2014, so three years ago. Uh, and then it premiered later in 2014 and then did the festival circuit in 2015. So even that relatively short was six years and the shoot was 20 days. So everything's concentrated into that very small space of time. And in order to get there, get through that, get through the post-production and then get the film into the world in some way, shape or form. It's a political game. Everyone that's involved, be it a runner who's only working for one day to a financier who's effectively signing a six-figure check, they've all got their own agenda and the producer has to sort of be able to harness all of those agendas to push in the right way. And that's a very long answer to an indefinable question. Thank you very much. Um, so I guess organization, um, yeah. yeah. Um, people skills. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, okay, a bit more brass tacks. Yeah. Definitely organization, definitely people skills, definitely the ability to say no, which is a real, it's actually one of the hardest things. You've got to be, an ass sometimes. You've got to be the person that says, absolutely, we can't do that. So it's having sort of control and responsibility while at the same time allowing, and I guess this is sort of people skills, allowing people to express themselves but not take the piss in a long and short, or allow people to express themselves and, and not take the mick. That one's for the podcast. Uh, um, so, and even financial skills, the ability to kind of magic money out of nowhere and then spend it prudently on the right things, which again is quite difficult. And even, I guess, from a young age, you know, getting hold of money is hard. Then you kind of spending it on the right things is even harder. Saving it is impossible. Uh, those things don't change when you get older, by the way. Um, and, doing that with other people's money is kind of quite a responsible thing and to highlight that I guess sort of long-winded answer again 
A million pounds, I reckon, is about 22 years of over the average wage of this country. The average mortgage time is 23 years. So when someone gives me a million pound to spend on a movie, that's the equivalent of someone's working life. Now, I take that as a huge responsibility. And therefore, even though the films aren't necessarily huge multiplex busting successes, how we utilize that resource that we've been afforded is very important for us, not to necessarily fritter it away on our own personal sort of uh, interests and endeavors. And whilst we have to maintain some sort of truth to that vision, and that's kind of another skill is being resolute and very dogged and determined, you have to understand what you're doing, which is actually spending uh, the equivalent of someone's working life. In a five million or a ten million or a thirty million pound project, you know these, it, it, the, the money is kind of astronomical and crazy. And if you think about it too hard, you cry. But you know, we all watch TV. We all love going to the flicks. We all play computer games, and this, these things, these entertainment forms are wildly important to allow society to operate. So that actually, I think, and. Especially if you're not so much interested in production, but it's more editing, camera, production design, writing, or lo and behold, directing. You can be as talented as you want. It's determination and work ethic which you need. And not just to become Steven Spielberg, but to be true to yourself and make what they call artifacts that films, TV, games, whatever, apps these days, that you feel represent your own interior world to the best, uh, to the exterior world. It's all about work ethic and being determined and putting the hours in. And this is sort of boring, and you've heard it all before from teachers who told you if you want to blah, 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 and it's all a load of kind of bunkum and fooey, but it it's not actually. You've got to put the hours in. You've got to put the work in. Writing a script is immensely difficult, and actually it takes time. It takes time, time, time. Working out structure and story, and in a way, again, this is sort of master of none, but jack of all. I have to understand script development and story when I work with writers. I can't write, but I have to be able to work with those writers and look at how stories are put together and so on and so on. That wasn't a very brass tacks answer at all, but hopefully hopefully, there's something sort of in there. And obviously, if anything I'm saying, if it's, you know, you're all intelligent human beings with electrodes running around your brains, what I'm saying will be sparking thoughts in your minds. If you've got anything you want to ask, just stick your hand up and we'll stop and give you the floor.
Thanks, Sam. It might not have been brass tacks, but it was so informative and gave you guys, hopefully, a really good idea into how all-encompassing the role of producer is, what kind of information you need to both know and relate to the teams that you work with, and how interesting a role it is as well, and varied by the sounds of it. Um, so going from your role of producer now, let's take you right back to... 16 years old at college. Can you tell us a little bit about your progression route from students at college right up to now and the choices that you made and why? When I was a teenager, I was interested kind of in four things. Football, cricket, film and art. And those sort of things aren't always necessarily similar bedfellows. Sort of... uh, Arty people and jocks aren't necessarily always uh, people who hang out together. But I love playing football. I played semi-professionally, used to get paid to play, and still love playing cricket and stuff and blah, blah, blah. But really, the expression of the interior world was something that I was... Does everyone understand what I mean when I say the interior world? Because I think this is wildly important. All of us operate in two worlds. We all have an interior world and we all have an exterior world. The exterior world is full of things we see and hear. So the things that happen around us are our exterior world. But the interior world, the place that only we know about, is actually the most magical and exciting place, I think, possible. And a kind of being sort of not a very good footballer and not a very good cricketer kind of realized these hopes and dreams that you have that you might play professionally one day but actually when you see your bad skills um, you kind of realize you're not going to and there's a sort of classic interior world exterior world clash right there but actually the expression of that interior world is all about hopes and fears and dreams and loves and hates and passions and all those things that we all have and Actually, they're so secret in a way because we're not conjoined twins at the brain with someone else and no one else can really know what's going on in our interior world. So in order to project that interior world, you can kind of write a book or paint a picture or sculpt a sculpture or all these other things. And I kind of tried all of that and I couldn't do any of it. I can't write can't draw my dad was a graphic designer my mom was a milliner my brother's a potter my sister was a textilist and I'm kind of an idiot who's kind of with a dirty face who's trying to play football not very well and I kind of my dad when I was about 14 uh, showed me some film um, and I was kind of blown away it's actually the third man a, a film uh, by Carol Reed, starring Orson Welles, uh, which he showed me. And I was kind of... My dad thought it was an amazing film because it's kind of a, uh, a Cold War thriller. And he was born in Newcastle before the war, and he grew up in that Cold War period, and he was very sort of kind of engaged with that thriller, blah, blah, blah. And I was watching it in the mid-'80s going, yeah, it's a thriller, but it's not really a thriller is it dad it's about how we lie to ourselves and how we engage and how we present our interior world to the exterior world and my dad's like 
God, what are you on? This is crazy. And I'm going, no, no, this is an amazing film, Dad. Thanks for showing it to me. And at that moment, I knew it wasn't about being not being very good at writing or drawing or all the rest of it like the rest of my family was. I could actually make films. That's what I wanted to do straight away. So I clearly wasn't great at school. I got two E's at my A-levels on subjects I loved history and uh, religious studies. Not that I'm religious, but I found the concept of blind faith totally and utterly fascinating. Uh, but I couldn't write essays, so I failed my A-levels or got very bad marks. And I went and did a B-tech at uh, a place called Chippenham. And I was able to start messing about with cameras and start thinking about story and thinking about that internal world, external world conflict and battle that whether we like it or not, we all have on a daily basis. Uh, oh, I don't want to go to school. Oh, you got to get to school, etc. And I kind of just became totally wild and fascinated by this, but then gradually realized that whole, I can't really write very well and da 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 da, I'm probably not going to be a writer or uh, I'm kind of not very technical. So editing and camera was out. And I kind of quite like doing art department and stuff because it's sort of making things and sort of making things look nice and da 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 da. And actually, sort of, I passed my BTEC with distinctions and stuff because of taking photos and engaging with the world in the way in which I loved. Got myself into university. Uh, I actually went to Northumbria and I sort of lied my way in. Um, well, I did some research, and I knew there was 27 places on the course, nine for film and video, nine for writing, and nine for animation. I knew that 2,500 people the year before applied for the film and video nine places, and I knew that 200 people applied for the writing places. So I applied for a writing place, knowing as soon as I got there, I was going to move to film and video. Now, is that lying? Or is that, is that creative thinking? Is that doing my research? In a way, it's kind of like I was producing <laughs> without knowing it. I was kind of doing that thing about moving, lining ducks up and making things work. And, you know, I was parenting my own education, if you like, at that point by getting where I wanted in a route with, with a strategy. I thought about it. I sat down and genuinely thought, I'm probably not going to get one of those 9 out of 2,000. I might get one of those 9 out of 200. Right. That's my strategy. And obviously worked, got into uni, had great fun, blah, blah, blah. And there was this guy there who didn't speak to anyone for the first six, six weeks. He had his headphones in and his hood up and blah, blah, blah. And then he sort of came up to me and this other kid, Oh, and I met some kids when I came for my interview. I ended up staying in Newcastle for about three days. I rang my dad up and said, I'm not coming home. Um, and he went, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, and it was, those were in the days when you could have train tickets which uh, weren't specific to a train. So I just had like an open return. And I, was, I just went to the phone box. Yes, phone box days. Uh, rang my dad. I'm not coming back. And he said, well, what are you do? I said, oh, I've met some guys. I'm just going to stay with them for a bit. Ended up staying with them in my first year. Um, 
Uh, and there's a kid at college, uh, uni, he never talked to anyone or anything, and he was blah, blah, blah. And then one day he sort of came up to me and Dan, this lad I was living with, who'd also I'd met at the interview. Uh, and we just got sort of chatting, and this guy, and he sort of started to talk about his interior world. And I kind of thought, Christ, you know, this, this guy is articulating verbally everything that I'm feeling, but can't articulate. This is brilliant. And then he'd uh, been on a painting course at St. Martin's in London, but decided that he finished it after the first year because it wasn't for him and he wanted to make films. And he started showing me his big sketchbooks. And I was like, you're, you're also you're ver you're, um, visually articulating everything I'm thinking and feeling. This is bonkers. And so we decided to make a film together, a graduation film together. And I just naturally, I wanted to see Dwayne's work on the big screen. So I kind of started to give all my spare time and emotion and spirituality and money and, and effort and engagement and I started to give everything I could in order to make sure that Dwayne was allowed to direct uh, a, a film for our graduation oh I was producing and I didn't sort of realize it when I first started but I kind of gradually realized that I was sort of doing everything apart from the working with the actors and the directing and the working out the shots and the and the writing of the script I was so Naturally, I was producing, and we made a graduation film that uh, out of Northumbria University, which at the time I think was the most successful graduation film. It played all over the world, and blah 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 blah. And then a few years later, after we graduated, we made uh, we raised some money to make Field, which you saw here. And I used my dad's address from the south and my own address when we were signing on in Newcastle. And I raised money from the south and money from the north. I sort of didn't realize that this was effectively co-producing. Uh, and so I doubled the money for the budget. So instead of having 10 grand, we had 20 grand. And then I raised another 10 grand from people that I know. And having 30 grand for your first short film is unheard of these days. But at the time, I kind of put it together. And again, I knew I was producing, but I kind of didn't know what I was doing in a way. I was just making it up as I went along. And so we made this film Field. It was a commission for Southern Arts at the time. And uh, it was screened on Carlton TV. Does ITV even regional anymore? Only the news. Only the news is local news. But anyway, when I was a kid, the actual regions meant more, I think. So Carlton TV, which was in the Midlands, had this blah, blah, blah. And and anyway, so Southern Arts put the film on a tape, which was put in a videotech at a place called Clément Ferrand in France, which is one of the most important short film markets. The film wasn't in the festival, in the selection. It was just in the videotech, like the video library. And then and that, and Clément Ferrand's in the February. And then, so 16 years ago, almost to the day, in late March 2001, I get this phone call on my house phone because we didn't have mobiles. And it's, this is Cam. Uh, we've selected your film field to be in the film festival. I kind of, you know, insert expletive here. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I was actually going on a football tour the next day to Spain to get drunk with all the lads. And they basically said, 
You've got three weeks, provide two 35 mil prints with French subtitles and a hundred hard copy press kits in French. And I was like, oh, but I'm going to Spain to go and get drunk. So that day I rang up a few people, raised a small amount of money, contacted a lab in London where they could make some prints for us, left it at that, arranged to go like the day after I got back from the football tour, went off, had a great time and in the most horrific part of Spain possible, probably for sort of uh, holiday terribleness. Great time with the lads, you know, 50 young kids playing football and getting drunk. Off we went, I got back, made the stuff, went to Cannes a few weeks after that in the May. And then it all kind of kicked off from there. People started wanting to know about Dwayne as a filmmaker, wanted to know about what we were doing as a production company. Didn't have a production company then. Made another short called Love Me or Leave Me Alone, uh, which was part of a scheme called Cinema Extreme, which was a collaboration between then Film Council and the, the Film 4. And then we started to make the feature film. Dwayne had written the first draft of the feature film in 2000 when we shot Field. Field was in Cannes in 2001. We shot Better Things in 2006, so five years after the first draft was written. Premiered in Cannes with Better Things in 2008. And it was released in 2009. Made my second film in 2010 film called Self Made with the Turner Prize winning artist Gillian Waring and now I'm in the edit on my eighth feature so that's from B-Tech and failed A-levels to having made eight feature films and now I've got TV series in development much bigger budget features in development, a few lower budget ones still, work with Jarvis Cocker who played um D.H. Lawrence in a movie we made, only the voice mind. Beth Orton, you saw, I don't know if any of you know Beth's music, but she played the mom in Light, Mu uh, Light Years. Uh, George Mackay, who's kind of a, a rising star, plays Tim in Bypass. And I'm still just a little kid with a dirty face who doesn't really know what I'm doing. That's how I feel. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. Yes, let's hold over to you guys now. Right, so um, I was just wondering when you were talking about raising money, how did you get it? Was it just due to grants or was it part of a commission that you actually got the money for? Ever? You mean for field? Yeah, just for any film, really. Well, essentially, there's three types of money. Excuse me, I'll quickly rattle through this. There's institutional money, which is places like the BFI or grant funding that's set up. There's market money, which is stuff from uh, pre-sales, distributors, actually the film industry, and then there's uh, private money. And most films are put together with a combination of those three things. So, for example, Better Things, the first feature film that we made that you saw there with the guys driving, uh, that had seven different sources of finance in it from seven different places. So you're dealing with seven commissioners, seven lawyers, seven physical production people, 
and seven boards, all with their own agendas. And again, that's the producer's job to sort of pull all those together. Bypass that you saw there had nine. Light years had six different funders. And blessed, blessed, blessed blood cells only had one. If you could like elaborate on pulling them all together, like what was your process in that? It, almost impossible to do, to, to elaborate in, in a very short space of time. What you have to do essentially, again, is strategize, uh, select targets you think will be interested in both the filmmaker and the project that that filmmaker has. Go pitch, introduce the filmmaker, get the filmmaker and the commissioner talking about the vision, engage the financier with your story. Don't forget, uh, a financier is often funding in between sort of two, three, four, maybe 20 or 30 films a year. They make more films than we do. They have, we, you've got to, they're not the enemy. They, they're your friend. You've got to bring them into the playground, allow them to let their experience, um, not dictate, but it, it certainly partly influence what you do. You've got to, while you're drafting, which often takes two or three years, especially if you're generating from scratch rather than adapting a novel or a play, You've got to keep people warm, keep people engaged, get people reading things at the right time, not all the time, because they're busy. Uh, and slowly you realize over time which of the people that you've discussed and project with who are going to be really interested. Then as the script starts to economize and you get rid of some of the scenes which aren't going to help, then you start to draw a budget up and you realize you're, you realistically uh, estimate how much that project is going to cost. Then you kind of think about who is still warm or interested in the filmmaker in the film, how much might they realistically bring. Then you draw a finance plan, then you start engaging lawyers. Um, it really rung my ear when you said you were uh, like a master of none, but you could cover a lot of stuff. Uh, I know at the end of education, I encourage you to specialize in a certain field. Um, I'm just wondering if you had to end up specialising, if you ever thought about it. And for someone who just wants to make films and they're not bothered about becoming a cameraman director, they just want to make stuff, if that's really something that should be concerned about? Uh, it's kind of a difficult question because, yes, educational, try and push people to specialise. And specialism is quite important in many, many fields. But it's also when you're 16, 17, 18 and, you know, parties, you know, fun, music, festivals, all those exterior world things which are going on, which are kind of really important to experience and be part of and all the rest of it. It's kind of hard to think, well, when I'm 45, I'll be an engineer specializing in X, Y, or Z. Who cares when you're 18 and Glastonbury's next week, you know? So I think the pressure, it works for some people, but not for everyone. And if you just want to go out and make films, just go out and make films. Get them on YouTube, get them in festivals. You'll find whether you can direct your friends as actors. And if you can start extrapolating performances from like your mates, then yeah, you're probably a director because your mates aren't the best actors around, believe me. Um, but if you're just having fun with your pals making stuff, then please just keep doing it. 
because you'll find actually it's the editing that's sort of interesting and putting that next to that and creating another meaning that's sort of interesting or it might be it's the color that I like actually because if I color the film in a certain way that gives it that's all storytelling it might be the organization that you like making sure that everyone's there on the Sunday afternoon after a big night out or whatever blah 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 and then you start feeding some of that experience back into your education back into your BTEC or your media studies or whatever it is and then maybe you'll start to see that actually there is an opportunity here for me to make films and honestly with some of my students I sort of say who wants to be a director oh, I don't know who wants to be oh, I don't know and they you don't necessarily know when you go, and you find out from experiencing it so enjoy being young believe me it gets harder and enjoy making stuff because as soon as someone's paying you to make stuff, the freedom starts to disappear. But they'll only pay you to make stuff if you can prove you can do it. So therein lies the, the secret. Hello. How would you best distribute a film? Do you think going into festivals is the best way to say if you've made a film, you've pulled everything together and you now have a feature film made and done and ready, how do you then get people knowing about it, then committing to watch it and then committing to pay to watch it? <laughs> the eternal question and it's sort of getting harder especially for films like this which are in a way narratively quite delicate um, but yes definitely festivals definitely definitely and short films especially you'll get your films get noticed if you start playing lots of festivals and winning prizes and so on and so on I think Field won 12 or 15 prizes or something and then the short film we made after that the same Suddenly we're on radar. Um, and in terms of distribution, wider distribution for feature films, obviously the internet is kind of taking over. We all love the shared experience and the big screen and the surround sound of watching in a cinema. That's great. Who you know really is a lovely place to watch films. But realistically, we know that we also watch more films at home than we do it on uh, in the cinema, partly because it's cheaper partly because we can't go out every night because, you know, eventually you have responsibilities like mortgages and kids and you can't, you know, do all those lovely things that you used to when you're young. Um, so actually VOD is eventually going to be the way forward and whether that's Netflix or Amazon or platforms like that or more curated, interesting platforms like Under the Milky Way or whatever, it, getting those places to take your films is very important. But at the end of the day, as a filmmaker, all you want is for people to see your films, which is why I'm kind of delighted to come and show you some of my stuff here. All those films are available on VOD. If you want to go and look them up, you'll find them. Uh, you pay a couple of quid, you can watch them easy peasy. So, yeah, I, festivals for certainly a young filmmaker is a, is a must-do. I'd just like to ask one more question. On behalf of everybody here, you're all based in the Northeast, born and bred probably. What's is available to young people in the northeast. What opportunities are available, and what tips would you give these young people here today? Uh, in terms of what's available in the northeast, certainly a resource like this place. And I'm not saying that to blow smoke just because we're sat here. It's actually a pretty amazing place. There's lots of uh, education, outreach uh, uh, initiatives through the Tyneside. Uh, an organization like NFM, Northern Film and Media, be worth 
talking to, they know a lot more about everything that's happening. But, I mean, I'm based in the Northeast partly because my parents were Geordies and I wanted to come to uni here. Uh, bizarrely enough, I still make films with the guy I met at university 20 years later. Um, so sticking with education isn't so much about what you learn, it's about who you meet and how you learn. Uh, and I would recommend that. Um, I live in Newcastle, but partly because of that, but because I've settled here, I want to live here, I like living here. I don't, I don't see that I have any less opportunity than anyone else around the world. Uh, the world is shrinking. Again, you think about the internet. I do so many meetings on Skype with people in London and around the world. I go to London once or twice a month. Uh, I'm working in Liverpool on Monday. I'm doing all sorts of stuff. I actually work for Film London, even though I'm based here. I work for the Venice College. Uh, you know, I work all over, but my home is here, and this is where my house is, and this is where I raise my kids, and that's where I want to be, so why should I move? There's absolutely no reason. I can get on a train and go to a, go to a job, as long as I come back to my home. But, so there's... There's every reason to leave, and there's every reason not to leave. It's up to you, and it's how you strategize and think about that. And it's all down to trying to identify what it is you want, and then trying to figure out different plans of how to get there. So drawing a roadmap before you start the journey, the actual journey might be totally different to what the roadmap was originally, but without that roadmap, you can't get in the car. So whether that's I want to stay in the Northeast and make films or whether that's I want to get the hell out of the Northeast as soon as I possibly can and go move to London or to New York or to Paris or whatever, that's fine. But those opportunities only come if you A, show the mental resolve that you want to do those things and the ability to stick at it. B, that you've got the little body of work of stuff that you've been making in your spare time and at college and gradually growing that that skill base, and see it's all, it's just that passion, that passion. You've got to will films into existence, but equally you've got to will a career into existence. It's not going to happen, just happen for you. You've got to want it, desire it, but then also focus on it and maintain that focus. And if you want to stay in the Northeast, why the hell not? If you want to move away, why the hell not? It's Kind of, it's just one of those things. Live where you want to live and work how you want to work. And it, it is possible. I mean, I'm not a rich man by any means, but I have a very rich life and I'm extremely proud of all the eight features and 15 shorts and installations that I've made that have played all around the world and taken me all around the world. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's a fun, it's a fun life. <laughs> Um, I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much. That was so inspirational. Thank you to you guys. <laughs>